You're listening to WLPN 105.5 FM Chicago, and you're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's longest-running labor news and current affairs radio program. News for working people by working people. I'm your host, Jerry Meadlacero, and this is the Sunday, February 11th, 2024 edition of Labor Express. You know, I say uh, the longest-running labor news and current affairs radio program in Chicago at the top of each program. It's actually changed recently from um, Chicago's only because it actually turns out there is another one. We'll talk about that sometime. There's a new one that's uh, on the scene here. But uh, longest-running is definitely uh, true because uh, um, for regular listeners that might not know, uh, this month marks the 20th anniversary of my time as host here at Labor Express, and it marks basically the 30th anniversary of the program as a whole. We'll talk more about that at the end of the episode, so stay tuned for that. On tonight's episode, the strike we forecast might be the first in Chicago in 2024 has come. Teachers at the Instituto Schools, Instituto Health Sciences Career Academy, ISHCA, and Institute of Justice Leadership Academy, IJLA, also known as Rudy Lozano Leadership Academy, are currently on strike. After two years of failed negotiations, months of lacking special ed and bilingual teachers, and relying on subs, the faculty and staff have finally had enough. We'll hear from speakers from a press conference that launched the strike on February 5th in the first half of tonight's program. In the second half of the program, why the hell is Sean O'Brien, the once vaunted, recently elected leader of reform in the Teamsters, holding secret meetings with Donald Trump? We'll hear from Teamsters leaders who are furious with O'Brien's flirtation with fascism. But first, some breaking, quite exciting news from the AFL-CIO, the nation's main labor federation. After years of pursuing an unquestioning, uncritical pro-Israel policy, the AFL-CIO has followed the lead of hundreds of member locals and called for a ceasefire in Gaza. Now, to be sure, the statement is very weak. It calls for a negotiated ceasefire, not an outright halt to hostilities, as demanded in the joint UE United Food and Commercial Workers statement, which we have promoted here on Labor Express for the last several months. But it is still an historic step in the right direction, and I'm going to read here from it. It's a very extremely brief statement issued just a couple days ago, uh, and we have a link of it, to it up at laborexpress.org. But here's what it says. The AFL-CIO condemns the attacks by Hamas on October 7th and calls for a negotiated ceasefire in Gaza, including the immediate release of all hostages and provisions of desperately needed shelter, food, medicine, and other humanitarian assistance to Gazans, and reaffirms our support of a two-state solution for long-term peace and security. So, I mean, barely more than a sentence, really. It's very uh, brief, and really the only big breakthrough is that uh, calling for a negotiated ceasefire. But that is a step forward for the AFL-CIO. Um, and it's proof that uh, you know the, the base of the uh, labor movement is pushing uh, the leadership in the right direction. Um, I'll quote from a statement released by the Labor Network for Ceasefire about what this means. Uh, they state, What this demonstrates is that a concerted, determined, creative grassroots organizing by rank and file can affect the labor movement in important ways. 217 labor organizations have called for a ceasefire and many of those for much more of which 164 have endorsed the public statement initiated by the UE and UFCW Local 3000. That's a statement that, again, we promoted here on Labor Express uh, going back to, I guess, October, I guess, is when it was first released. Um, so hard work and organizing can pay off, folks, even with institutions like the AFL-CIO that seem at times immovable. Um, I would also add it's a testament that though organized labor in this country represents, at best, a severely flawed, barely democratic institution, we can reform it and make it more democratic, and for the sake of the working class in this country, we must transform it. So let's keep at it, folks. 
On the December 31st episode of Labor Express, we heard from picket lines outside a Instituto del Progreso Latino board meeting at ISCA, the Instituto Health Sciences Career Academy building. And in that audio, we heard about how teachers at the two Instituto schools in Chicago's Pilsen community, ISCA and then Instituto Justice Leadership Academy, or IJLA, it's also known as Rudy Lozano Leadership Academy, were furious that after two years of negotiations over a new contract, the school is being staffed in large part by subs. Uh, the school would lack special ed staff and bilingual teachers. Despite the fact that it was being inundated by a whole new population of refugee students with even greater needs than the already difficult lives faced by the school's traditionally Latino immigrant working class students. On that program, I explained that the teachers had voted to strike if need be and that it could be the first strike of 2024 in Chicago. Well, on February 5th, the teachers and staff members of the charter school division of the CTU of Chicago Teachers Union did decide to go on strike. The following is audio from a press conference that announced the start of the strike. Uh, Today, we are on strike. There was some movement in the last few days after two years of negotiating, and we think it's moving well, and we have serious issues in our schools here. Um, We have special education students that are not receiving the minutes and the support they need. We have no education special education teachers, both at Instituto uh, uh, Health and Science Career Academy or IJLA, which is the Rudy Lozano School. Um, Today, you're going to hear from parents, from teachers and elected officials who will speak to the issues experienced in the school. Um, Going on strike is not easy. And we want to just give support to the educators that are here today on strike for their students and to improve the conditions at the school and the education that our students receive. So first, so first I want to uh, introduce a teacher at ISCA, Eva Arcentales. My name is Eva Arcentales. I am a Spanish teacher, and also I, I am one of the founders teacher in this school. We are here in the strike because we are fighting for our students. Our students doesn't deserve to be without the service that they needed. We don't have a special ed teacher. We don't have a teacher who has to teach in the regular subject like English, science, and math. Means that our students are not learning nothing and also they are not prepared for the college. And this is not fair for our community. This is why we are fighting here. We feel frustrated as a community because we need, we know parents now, they are looking for some places where the students can be safe. Now we are, we are here to fighting for the whole community because when we create this school, the goal for us was give the community, especially Latino community, the opportunity to be successful in the Chicago public. Incredible, you're hearing from a long time founder of this school that is questioning the, the mission of Instituto and what they intended for the Latino community here. Uh, next, I want to introduce 
uh, Gabriela Solis from the Instituto Justice Leadership Academy. Yeah. Uh, good morning, my name is Gabriela Solis. Uh, I'm part of Instituto Justice and Leadership Academy. I've been there for seven years. I'm a math teacher. And why are we here? We're here because we're tired. We are tired of being negotiating for a fair contract. What does it mean by a fair contract? A fair contract means that we want to work in a best, the, the best, better conditions. We want bilingual teachers. We need uh, special education teachers. We need uh, uh, subcontent area subject uh, teachers. We need people who are qualified to teach our students so they are able to succeed in the future. So that's why we're here. Please. Join us and be supporting us in this few days. Yeah. 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 So now I want to introduce to you uh, Jen Conant, Chair of the Charter Division at TT. Good morning, my name is Jen Conant. As Rebecca said, I'm Chair of CTU's Charter Division. We're out here today because we're fighting for supportive, safe, sustainable schools. We are trying to improve our schools across the district. We've landed uh, contracts with other charter operators across the city, and we know that Instituto can do the same. We're calling on them to do right by their students, by their faculty, and to meet our demands. Our demands will create a better school, a more stable school. You've heard from educators here that there are a large number of vacancies and students are not getting the education they deserve. There are not enough special education teachers. In fact, there's only one. You need many more than that to meet the students' needs. What's happening right now is unacceptable. And we're out here ready to fight for our students and for our school community until we can create a better school. Again, we know that Instituto has the funds to improve things. Other charter operators have met these demands about having fully staffed schools and we know that Instituto can do the same, and we're ready to continue fighting for that. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Uh, we now have uh, Marta Rivas, a parent of a student at Instituto. Hi, good morning. My name is Marta Rivas, and I have a junior student at Instituto. We're here to ask for support for our students and our teachers. We don't want to see any more good teachers and counselors leave because of this reason. We know the money is there. Right now, there are more than 10 regular classes with no teachers, and we don't have any teachers for special, special education. We know the funds are there to pay teachers, no substitutes. What we don't know is where those funds are going. For a month, my son is been having a substitute instead of a teacher for one class. Probably he left because they have to look for a better way to provide for their families. And this is the same story for many other students that have substitutes on for, not for only a month. Some are they having substitutes for the whole semester, as I heard from other parents. We don't want our students get get more behind. We're just asking for what our students deserve, a good education. That is why we're asking for better salaries to fill to fill vacancies and fair contracts that will bring need improvements for our children. Thank you so much, Marta. Um, and now I want to introduce to you uh, Alderman of the 25th Ward, uh, Byron Sixo Lopez. Yeah. 
It is a real, a real telling, you know, when we here as a community have to fight instituto over protections for our immigrant kids. I'm glad that Eva reminded us and I'm gonna, of the history of instituto. And I wanna thank all the teachers, all the parents, all the educators, of course, the Chicago Teachers Union and other electeds will stand here in solidarity as a community. And solidarity feels great, doesn't it? Yeah. Because our kids need our solidarity and our actions, not only our words. So when we have a management and bosses that pay themselves $3 million in rent and fees, and fees have increased 81% in the school. Now wonder why in our office we see more and more cases of children expelled from the school because the school is not that doesn't have what it takes to deal with conflict. Our teachers are rightly so demanding those protections for diverse learners for the most vulnerable children. Right now, we have new neighbors that come with trauma and many other needs. And we have, right now in the city of Chicago, much trauma that needs to be dealt appropriately in our schools. No union busting when our educators are raising the flags. And again, we can attest to that because we do care and we do talk to our parents. So the PR campaigns and the union busting and all that will not work. Our community is standing strong for our schools and our kids. So thank you for our teachers and our students and our community for always leading with love and care for our students. These are some of the same interests that close down schools, that privatize schools, that leave our kids out in the cold and then try to blame us for these issues, the audacity. So we'll be clear today with Instituto, both Isla and Ishka. These are institutions with a long history in our community of service, especially for immigrant community. So that those protections for immigrants are a shame that we have to even discuss it. I would say that that should be granted. Furthermore, we expect the management to immediately work in good faith with the teachers and our community at large to be the institution that has a mission to serve our kids and serve them well. This is unacceptable and it's going to change. And we're going to have us here as a community picketing until it happens. So, so we are in full support of the strike. And this is how we change our city. This is exactly how we change our city. Yeah. Así que, si se puede, si se puede, hasta la victoria siempre.
Uh, thank you, Alderman, for reminding us of what Instituto means in the community and what its intention is. And I hope that there's they can make the connection that mistreating educators, not investing in the school, is a, is a direct impact on the community. And so now I want to introduce to you uh, CTU President Stacy Davis Gates. Good morning. Doesn't this feel like love? The people on this picket line love this city. They love their school community. They love the families that depend on them and they love the students that they attend to every single day. Why else would people vote to forego pay, stability and certainty if they did not love the people who need them in the school community? It is the process of bargaining this contract that will save Instituto. Mm -hmm. It will not be the boss. It will not be the Board of Education. It will be the people standing with me in this moment. The right. students, the families, and the workers at this school. That's who's going to save this place. Mm -hmm. And you know how I know that? Because it is this union that has already saved this place from closing down. Mm -hmm. Last year, when Instituto was going up for renewal with the Chicago Public Schools Board of Education, they were giving, given an F grade. Basically, if you don't fix bilingual education, if you don't fix special education, then we're going to have to do something about you. But it is actually this union that put a moratorium on school closings. So this school can't close. So the only choice that we have in this moment is for the managers of this school, the bosses of this school, to bargain a fair contract. And let me tell you what a fair contract will look like. A fair contract will look like special education law being followed. You know what a fair contract looks like? Bilingual education for students who need bilingual education. Yeah. Look at the name of the school. And you don't have bilingual education here. We want to stabilize staffing at this school. Right now, we have a revolving door of guest teachers, otherwise known as substitute teachers, in and out of this building because they refuse to pay workers their worth they refuse to treat workers with dignity and respect. They refuse to provide the resources that will be necessary to have a stable school community that offers all of the students in this space exactly what they need. Yep. How do you have one social worker for 600 kids? Right. In an alternative school setting. In an alternative school setting means that those who come here have not been able to do well and what we would call a normal school setting, which means we got to do better at this school setting, which means that we have to do more at this school setting, which means that we have the capacity to stem dropouts in this particular school setting. Mm -hmm. So listen, for people who are on strike, for people who are taking a day of pay without a day of pay, for people who are making a sacrifice 
That means that these people love this space. That means that these people are ready to throw down to save this space. We have seen at other charters that once a collective bargaining agreement, a contract is negotiated between this union and the boss. Once that happens, we see staffing stabilized. People don't quit anymore because they're being paid close to their worth. You see programs being funded, special education, bilingual. Schools that have a strong union in the charter industry have a stabilized space that families can depend on, that students can depend on. So look at the look at this strike like this. We're actually saving this school from closure. And so I want to give a personal plea to all of the people who sit on the negotiating side for the management and the boss. Come to the table seriously. Right now they have a real estate attorney negotiating a labor contract. Right now they have a real estate attorney negotiating a labor contract. That's like me teaching math and I'm a history teacher. You're only gonna get so far into the quadratic equations before it's a wrap, right? Number two, our mediator is no longer at the table. How is it that a mediator walks away from a table? Probably because you got a real estate attorney negotiating a labor contract. So we're asking them to get serious with negotiating this contract. We want to be in our classrooms with our students. Yeah. We want to have the special education and the bilingual supports that they deserve. Yeah. And we want to make sure that we stabilize this school environment because this community, this neighborhood, our families in this city deserve that. Thank you all for your sacrifice. Thank you all for your courage. Thank you for your solidarity, and thank you for your love. Thank you. We will, of course, continue to cover developments with this strike and contract negotiations at the Institute of Schools here on Labor Express. I have a personal vested interest in this case because I worked at IJLA for three years myself and was on the um, negotiating team for a contract there uh, uh, several years back. So uh, I definitely want to see these workers win this fight, and we'll continue to cover it. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls the longest-running labor news and current affairs radio program. We take a brief station ID break, but when we return, what the hell is up with Teamsters President Sean O'Brien's newfound interest in Donald Trump. So make sure to stay tuned. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for working people by working people. In early 2023, labor movement militants and progressives were gearing up for what many expected to be an historic strike of the Teamsters Union at UPS, the single largest private sector collective bargaining agreement in North America. There was a great deal of enthusiasm and excitement over what potential gains could be made in this strike under the new reform leadership in the Teamsters Union. The Teamsters are one of the largest and potentially most powerful unions in the country, not just because of the union's members and their treasury, but because they represent workers in the logistics industry, which is a linchpin of contemporary capitalism. But for years, the union had been led by class collaborationists and frequently corrupt union leadership under the Hoffa dynasty that embraced a pattern of concessionary contracts. 
Decades of efforts at reform seem to finally pay off with the election of Sean O'Brien and his slate of reformers to the leadership of the Teamsters in 2022. But here we are short of two years later, and the shine of that victory is quickly wearing off. First, there's a strike that wasn't. Yes, the new Teamsters contract with UPS, which was reached last summer, was a major step forward, a reverse course after years of concessionary bargaining. But many in the movement, including this program, questioned how much more could have been achieved if the union chose to strike instead. That thesis was given a great degree of support when the UAW and its reform leadership under the other Sean, Sean Fain, who started out 2023 very much in O'Brien's shadow, Fain led the UAW on a truly historic strike, one of the biggest victories in the labor movement in decades. But the controversy that has erupted in the last few weeks now raises the questions around Sean O'Brien's leadership of the Teamsters to a whole new level. On January 31st, the Teamsters leadership under the orders, and orders is the right term, of O'Brien, met with Trump at their Washington, D.C. headquarters. This is really bad. I mean, really bad. To have a corporate CEO who just last year O'Brien decried as a scab and a union buster and who's built his career on racism, sexism, and anti-working class politics to even consider, however unlikely, an endorsement for Trump for president of the United States, that is insane. It was a, it's a boon for Trump, who's desperate like any right-wing populist demagogue to present himself as having the support of the working class. And it's a major blow to a union whose survival depends on organizing an increasingly black and brown working class in this country. But this event, the meeting in Washington, D.C., wasn't even the worst part of this scandal. You could say about that meeting in D.C., oh, well, the Teamsters do have many members who like Trump, and it's incumbent upon the leadership to meet with all candidates of each party prior to making an endorsement, even though that's, I'd say, a hollow and meaningless and, uh, statement and really unable to stand up to serious scrutiny. Um, but what's worse than that, what's harder to explain, is why Sean O'Brien, once the darling of a new, fighting, militant, democratic, progressive layer movement, held a almost semi-secretive private meeting with Trump prior to the D.C. meeting at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida in January. People who go to Mar-a-Lago go there to kiss the ring of Donald Trump. So what the hell is Sean O'Brien up to? Good friend of Labor Express Radio, fellow member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and one of the country's leading labor journalists, Steve Zeltzer of Workweek Radio and the Labor Video Project, has been covering these developments thoroughly and frequently on his program. On a recent episode of Work Week, Steve talked with two elected leaders in the Teamsters, New York Local 808 Secretary Treasurer Chris Silvera and Teamsters Vice President John Palmer from Texas to get their take on the situation. Vice President Palmer has faced disciplinary action from the union leadership, not only for standing up to O'Brien on this point, but also for speaking out against the UPS contract last summer. Let's hear what they have to say about O'Brien's flirtation with fascism. This is Work Week with Steve Zeltzer. This week, the president of the Teamsters Union, Sean O'Brien, has invited former President Trump to the Teamsters National Office in Washington for members and leaders to discuss whether the union should support him. Teamsters around the country are angry about what they say is an insurrectionist and racist being invited to discuss the election. This is after UAW Sean Fain has called Trump a scab, company man, and union buster. We first interviewed Chris Silvera, who is executive secretary of New York Local 808, who calls Trump a confederate. This week, we have found out that the IBT international president, uh, Sean O'Brien, has invited Donald Trump, ex-president, to come to the Teamsters Union office uh, for a discussion about whether the Teamsters should support him. And this is after a secret meeting that he had at Mar-a-Lago, where Sean O'Brien went down to Mar-a-Lago, met secretly with uh, Donald Trump. 
He's now meeting, and there's been a backlash among Teamsters around the country, including John Palmer, international vice president, and others about why the Teamsters are having him at their international union office. So welcome, Chris Silvera of Teamster Local 808. So what's your reaction to this whole thing? It seems like it's escalating further and further um, and creating a, a lot of divisions inside the Teamsters union. Well, I, I think it's such a it's, a, it's a mistake. And the fact that we have people, this is not, we're not dealing with the Republican Party anymore. And I think people should be very clear about this, that this is either the Trumplicans, if they want to call them that, or they're Confederates, which means that they're no longer a part of what we understand uh, America to be. And so to have this meeting, uh, didn't have any other secret meetings, I want to say secret meetings, uh, he didn't have to go to Asa, uh, Asa Hutchinson's home, or he didn't have to go to Nikki Haley's home, or didn't have to go uh, to Biden's home. You know, So why did you have to go to Mar-a-Lago to precede the public meeting. There's something funny about that. And, I, and, and, and this is, Mar-a-Lago is the place where people go to bow down. You know, uh, Speaker of the House McCarthy and so many others who have all made that trip to Mar-a-Lago. None of them went down there to raise hell. All of them went down there to kiss the ring of uh, Donald Trump. And so therefore, one can see that there is something improper with our leader, our general president, making this trip to uh, the headquarters of the Confederacy. The growth of racism in this country, a fascist movement growing, uh, Trump's open racist attacks on blacks, on, on brown people, on immigrants, on Muslims. What does that say that the that the IBT would even consider endorsing somebody like that? Well, I mean, the, the mere fact that we would even consider it, right, is an affront to all those other members who are not uh, a party to this fascist movement that's taking place, this reemergence of the lost cause babies, right? So you have to wonder, I don't have to wonder, it actually sends a message to all the non-white, the women members of our union, that you really don't care anything about them, that you're that you're worrying about what racist elements within our union think. So instead of trying to either A, convert those racist elements over to a newfound reality, or B, isolate them and just says, listen, you know, you're here, you could leave when you feel like. Uh, but to really believe that we had to play with them at this moment in history is 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 troubling, to say the least. John Palmer, as international vice president, has said he was ordered to go to the meeting. Uh, that was the order from uh, Sean uh, O'Brien. He says he's not going. What do you think about the other uh, executive vice presidents of the Teamsters? Should they go to that meeting with Trump? Yeah. You know, going for what? Those board members should have advised our general president that this was not an appropriate action to take, right? Uh I am, I am presuming that most of them are not business unionists and that they're trade unionists and movement people, that they would be uh, offended, that the women that were on the board were offended, that the Latinos on the board were offended, that the Blacks on the board were offended, and that they would have arranged some kind of a boycott of that meeting 
And if they had to go, then they should go and ask serious questions and really be, I don't, I don't have to use the word disruptive, but constructively deconstructing the idea of the meeting. And also there's the issue of discrimination inside the Teamsters International Union, firing of staff, black and brown staff. What do you think about that? And I mean, the union is, should be fighting racism, yet it seems like at the top, they've allowed racial discrimination, had to pay millions of dollars from union funds for that. Well, you know, if you look at Teamsters Local 25, uh, where there are no blacks working there at all, which strangely enough, in, in the turn of the century, 1905, in those era of time, you had blacks sitting on the executive board of Local 25. So Local 25 have come a long way and fallen behind. And so therefore, one could understand the outcome. The question is, why is there no outrage from those people on the e-board who are people of color? Why are they not speaking out? Why are they not offended? Why, when this happened, they didn't say, hold up, stop. Can't you see the racism that was being generated at the time? Can't you see the legal uh, situation that the union was being put in when these actions were taken and stand up and speak out? Or were you just concerned about whether or not you were going to have a check next week or however often they pay them? The threat of Trump coming in, I know that you have said that we need a labor party, we need a working class political alternative. How is that going to come about? It seems like uh, what what Biden, President Biden doing now supporting the genocide in Gaza is turning off a lot of people to even vote for him. In so Michigan and many other places. Yeah. Right. So, so one of the things about politics in America is it's complex. It's never this or that, you know. So, but Biden certainly uh seemed to be putting his re-election uh into the hands of Bibi Netanyahu, which seems to me like <laughs> are they all in a play together, which they all want Trump to be the president, because just humanity alone, if you can't see this genocide that's taking place. Uh, and forget who started what and who went where, because there's long history and people are on other sides of it. But when you see, all right, so if you want to blame Hamas, Hamas killed 1,500 people or thereabouts. How many Palestinians' lives have to be sacrificed for you to have equal than eye for an eye, right? So we're at about 25,000 dead right now. And for, for, for President Biden, to continue on this path and not call for a ceasefire, not call for an end to these hostilities, not call for an end to this destruction, uh, could very well cost, cost him the upcoming election. Um, the the danger of a, of a coup, it's not going to go away. The danger of an insurrectionist who is openly, in the, for example, in Texas, they're saying, uh, fight the federal government. Let's have a civil war. Yeah. Uh, they're calling for a civil war. They're calling to go back to the, you tell them the Confederates. Yeah, they want to go back, way back. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they are Confederates. They want to refight uh, this war that they lost uh, back in the 1800s. But times are different now, right? So America, that being North, North uh, the United States versus the Confederate States, should that split occur, it means the end of whatever they ever dreamt of as a nation, right? So people need to be mindful that America is not going to survive 
the next civil war, right? Because the players on the players around them are going to pick them apart, and they will they will suffer the consequences of what division brings. And if we're facing a civil war, if we're facing a party that had voted millions of people voted for Donald Trump, there are maybe millions of people who think there needs to be a civil war. What is the working class? What are the unions doing to prepare for that war? Because it seems like in the case of the Teamsters, you've got a president of the Teamsters Union who's consorting and is actually helping give credibility to the leader of this person who's calling for a dictatorship, really, for executive rule. One of the things that we cannot do as the working class, because we're the ones that are going to pay the ultimate toll uh, in this struggle, is allow complacency. And we can't allow this idea that we can negotiate with the fascists. I mean, need we be reminded of uh, a statement that came out at the end of World War II when a gentleman said, first they came for the communists, but I wasn't a communist, so I didn't care. And on and on to the different groups. And he didn't care until they came for him. And when they came for him, there was no one around to care. So we have to be very careful. America is, in spite of its warts and what have you, still a very dynamic country with a lot of life left in it, right? Uh, the question is whether or not we as the working class are going to join together or are we going to allow the billionaire class to move in the direction that they want to move in. We, are, we have to be very clear that Trump didn't start this. This project was well underway uh, by the Koch brothers and uh, all these other uh, billionaire groups that actually wanted to see this uh, oligarchy, this authoritarian state come in. You know, so this is not something, he just happened to be the one that popped up in the middle of it and took advantage of it before they could actually do it themselves. But but he didn't create it. it. It had already been here. It is who we are. And the question is, is whether our better selves are going to defeat our worse selves. Okay, well, I want to thank you very much. We've been talking with Chris Silvera of Teamster Local 808 in New York. So thanks for joining us on Work With Thank you for having me. John Palmer is an international vice president of the Teamsters from Texas. He protested the private visit of President Sean O'Brien to Mar-a-Lago and then O'Brien's invitation to Donald Trump to come to the Teamsters National Headquarters in July 31st to discuss with the Teamsters whether they should endorse him. Palmer says that it is a violation of the Teamsters Constitution to invite an insurrectionist to the Union and O'Brien is violating their own Constitution. First his statement and then we go to the interview. I was addressed to Sean O'Brien, General President. Dear sir and brother, I write you in response to your memo dated January 24, 2024, demanding that I attend a GEB meeting for the purpose of hearing from former President Donald J. Trump, who has been indicted on 91 felony charges. He is a known union buster, scab, and insurrectionist. I refuse to attend that meeting, which violates the clear language of the international constitution. In accordance with Article 2, Section 3, Paragraph A, which states the following, no person who knowingly associates, in parentheses, as that term has been defined in prior discussions or disciplinary charges under Article 19, close parentheses, with any member or associate of any organized crime family or any other criminal group or who actively advocates the overthrow of a federal, state, or provincial government by force or violence, or is a member of any party or group 
and knows of and actively its purpose to overthrow a federal, state, or provincial government by force or violence shall be allowed to hold membership in the International Union or any of its subordinate bodies. Given this language and the appalling record of Trump appointing union busters to the DOL, NLRB, and United States Postal Service, his scabbing of an IATSE picket line, and his refusal to act on the Butch Lewis Act on behalf of tens of thousands of pensioners across America, this meeting should not occur. Your private meeting with Trump, accompanied by the widely circulated thumbs up photo, appears as a tacit endorsement while it leaves the membership out of the loop. This private backdoor decision will divide the union and weaken it at the time when we need to fight corporate America and their union busters. During the UAW strike, he chose to meet with non-union workers and attack the UAW and its leadership. Joe Biden went to the picket line. I'll be more than happy to meet with Joe Biden on this date and echo the sentiments of UAW President Sean Fain and his full-throated endorsement of President Joe Biden. As a United States Army veteran, I cannot support a draft dodger, a traitor who deliberately undermines the Constitution of the United States. We should never entertain dialogue with a candidate with such an anti-union record. Finally, you, sir, do not have the constitutional authority to require that I participate in a meeting with this reprehensible individual any more than you could require that I meet with an organized crime figure. I look forward to meeting President Joe Biden in the afternoon of the 31st. Steve Zeltzer. We've covered the struggle in the Teamsters Union around the issue of Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters Union, having a private meeting with former President Trump uh, at Mar-a-Lago and keeping it secret uh, from the membership. And the latest development is that Sean O'Brien, the president, has invited Trump to the Teamsters office. And he's going to be meeting there on the 30th. Uh, and uh, there are Teamsters around the country who are really seriously questioning and challenging whether this is the direction the Teamsters should go. And one of them is John Palmer, who is an international vice president of the Teamsters. And he raised the, at first when Sean O'Brien met with Trump, raised that issue, and he's continued to raise it in a recent letter that he wrote and statement when Sean O'Brien ordered all Teamster executive board members to attend this meeting with Trump. So welcome to the show. Hey, Steve, it's good to be back. So, John, uh, you originally raised this issue of why would your president, Sean O'Brien, be meeting with Trump? And now you learned this week that, in fact, he's invited Trump to the headquarters of the Teamsters this coming Tuesday. Were you surprised by that? I'd like to say I was. I was uh, more surprised uh, at the memo that was sent to me and the rest of the general executive board uh, demanding our attendance. And, uh, um, you know, ironically, the uh, Constitution has language, which I think goes back to the 50s when, when we had the Red Scare. But anyway, the language that says that, you know, you can't associate with uh, pe- criminal elements or uh, people that are involved in trying to overthrow a federal, state, or province, gov- provincial government. So um, I, I responded by saying I, I, I wouldn't come. Um to that meeting. Now he's going to meet with Joe Biden in the uh, afternoon after he meets with Trump, and and I will attend that meeting. Um, but um, I, I do believe he he constitutionally 
I shouldn't meet with him because it says you can be barred from membership in the union. But but take it a step further. I I have a problem uh, with uh, the morals and principles or lack thereof of of uh, uh, former President Trump, who God help us all should remain former. And Sean Fain at the UAW convention did go through some of his labor record uh, where he crossed picket lines, IASI picket lines. Uh, he uh, went to a non-union plant during the GM strike um, and told the workers basically they shouldn't support their union from a right-wing position, not from a criticism of the union from the left. And also, Sean Fain said that Trump was a scab. Donald Trump is a scab. Donald Trump is a billionaire, and that's who he represents. The question is, is why, if that's the case, would Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters Union, invite a scab to, to be interviewed about whether or not the Teamsters should support him? Well, there's, you know, the, the argument they're making is we have to talk to all the candidates. He's one of the candidates. And in a normal world, which I think left us uh, seven years ago, um, I, I would say that that argument has some value. But, um, you know, the, there's a very really common adage that's going around right now that says, when people tell you who they are, you should believe them. And, and he's more than done that. As a matter of fact, on the 30th, uh, I believe PBS is going to have a special about January the 6th and, and all the things that, that Trump has done. I think, I think I'm going to take a look at it. I, I think it should be objective and, and, and uh, you know, reveal who he is. I mean, but look, if you keep up with anything, you know, current, you, I mean, there's a mountain of, of things that this man has done and, 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 you know, against labor, but against humanity as well. One of the things that he did is uh, attack black workers uh, attack Latinos, attack immigrant workers. Many of these workers are in the Teamsters Union. Uh, right. What impact is that going to have? And also the Teamsters say, I mean, Sean O'Brien said they want to organize Amazon, yet they're basically giving credibility to Trump. Right, right. And, and if anybody thinks that, so the big challenge is, you know, longtime organizer is the structure of the National Labor Relations Board, even when it's staffed with with fair and just people, isn't the place to go looking for justice. You know, as an organizer, the, the way you win elections is to win them outright and win them in a, a large enough number that that the company will come and negotiate a contract with you. And, and so if you don't, um, you don't get a contract. And and the union, you know, they'll, they'll follow DCERT on you in a year and you're, you, you lose the unit. The problem is people miss when, when we vote in elections uh, and and I'm I'm sorry sorry to say that there's two choices and and we deserve more than that. Um, th these pub people have the power to appoint the people who chair these 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 agencies and the labor board uh, during the the Trump years was staffed by uh, people from the Jones Day law firm and anybody that knows labor knows that's the 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 most vicious prolific union busting firm in the country. Um, that's supposed to be a place for justice where where both sides get an equal shake. But that's not what went on in those four years. Organizing is difficult enough without without allowing people to stuff these these agencies. The Department of Labor was stuffed with the Union Buster. The Postal Service, you know, William DeJoy um, used to be the CEO, I believe, for XPO, a company that he we tried to organize for years. It was Conway before that, but 
um, you know, they union busted us. And if he has this record, which Trump does, it certainly is that Teamsters done any education about Trump, who he is, what his record is. I mean, here lies the, the the problem. And I have my, my own theory because I, you know, I, I don't, um, people don't tell me what they think. Uh, that's a problem of politics. They don't really tell you what they think. But my theory is that, first of all, these people make a lot of money. They, they, they all get two and three salaries. Uh, and so in some cases, four salaries for their positions. Um, they make, there's plenty of them making close to 300 or at 300,000 a year. There are locals where they make even more than that. Some, some people who can't work for the international because the guy running the Amazon campaign can't work for the international. He makes more money than a general president. But, but the point here is when you're uh, a rank and file member and, and you're a leader and, and you're, you're not shopping in the same places, you're not eating in the same places, all you you spend more time with the company than you do your members. Um, and that's what the union busters go after us with is this top-down leadership. And and that that structure doesn't work. And and the reason we're, you know, our members feel a disconnect. And um, you know, they were sold a contract at UPS. And now I I think the majority of the members realize that's what happened to them. Um, so they're very disconnected. Uh I, I don't think Sean wants to offend. Um I believe the the internal polls tell us that 50 plus percent of the people in in the teamsters vote either Republican or including Trump some cases and and they're playing that delicate dance of trying to be all things to all people. Our our job is not to stay elected. I think you stay elected when you do the right things. Our, our job is to tell people why it's unhealthy for you and your family to vote for for such a, I mean, this man's a derelict. The rise of fascism, I know that Trump uh, is supporting Malay in Argentina. He, Javier Malay, has passed laws to, he wants to pass laws to outlaw unions, basically, privatize the economy, and also uh, prevent workers, more than three people, from meeting. I mean, he's setting up a, a dictatorship, a fascist dictatorship. Uh, and Trump said he would get rid of the Constitution on his first day. The yeah. rise of fascism in this country, there hasn't been a debate in the labor movement. I know that the Vermont AFL-CIO in 2016 said there should be a general strike against any attempted coup or insurrection in this country. Uh, it seems that, that Sean O'Brien is not concerned about the danger of fascism and the danger of a dictatorship in the United States. Sean O'Brien's concerned with uh, being the re-elected greatest ever uh, Teamster president. So... Um, he wants to stay in office, but to the fascism issue, yeah. I mean, uh, the other day, Trump told people that Viktor Orban was a guy that he looked up to. So now we're buddies with with Kim, Kim Jong-il, with Putin, you know, with, with all these horrible dictators. And, and if we look at Eastern Europe, some of these, some of these transitions and changes, uh, we should pay attention because, you know, our, our system's are, are vulnerable and 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 the courts if the courts slip or um you know any of the branches fail to to execute their duties we we you know no one needs to come with with firearms to overthrow the government of the United States it, it, it it's going to come from within and allowing people with with uh, uh selfish unpatriotic motives to uh to 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 bring that on and you taken the decision you're not going to be told to meet with donald trump 
uh, on the 30th. Are you urging other members of the International Executive Board from 804, other locals, to take the similar stand uh, to say enough is enough? We have no business meeting with with uh, Donald Trump? Um, I'm an outcast on the executive board because I spoke out against uh, the UPS agreement and um, you know, spent two and a half hours being chastised by the entire board uh, for taking that stance. I think I've been proven correct by most of the members on my positions. Um so I don't have a lot of conversations with these folks, but, um, you know, I, I've been quite public with my position and I don't have a lot of confidence that they, you know, I, I don't, well, I'm far enough in my career. I can call people out. They don't have the backbone. I, 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 that's not the team's term I would use in a regular conversation, but they don't have the backbone to stand up. They're afraid they'll lose their job or, or one of their stipends that they re, re, receive and, um, so, you know, it's about position and, and and not, you know, there are people that are just simply don't want to have to go back to the company they worked for. You know, this is not a bad job. I've My hands have become very soft in the last 20 years uh, compared to what they used to be. You've spoken up. And as a result of that, you as well are facing retaliation. They're trying to get you off the uh, International Executive Board even before your term expires. What's happening with that? And sure. how did that well, you know, they 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 uh, terminated me. I'm on a leave. Of, I was on a leave of absence from ABF, and the contract's very clear about that too. So, when I told them that I was going to be part of putting a slate together that would run against them in the next election, they threatened my eligibility in front of the entire GEB. Sean O'Brien did, um, and then then they sent a letter. What, what did off he say? You, you, I'm I'm going to make sure you're not eligible to run. He says, "I'm not even sure you're gonna the, you're gonna be eligible to run per the constitution." So the same day, they fired off a letter to my local to withdraw the leave of absence uh, request, and then the company ordered me back to work. I did show up and talked to a vice president there, and he uh, he said, "Well, we'll look into it." And then a day later, I got a termination letter. So they fired you from the company. To try to, my theory would be that they're trying to to uh, take my eligibility away to keep me from running in the next election. So, so I have filed a labor board charge. Anybody that's filed a charge lately knows they are indenuated right now. It's been months, and I was told that straight up. It's going to be a while. It'll be a while before they get to you. So anyway, that charge is filed, um, and uh, you know that sounds I like a Trumpian tactic: get rid of your opponents. Uh. I. I I, I'm I absolutely. I mean, I I I think there are great similarities uh, between the two individuals, and and I I will say this about the union in general. I mean, I know some very good leaders, but I think the downfall egos, the huge egos, the people, people that that don't believe in being collaborative, but being sort of dictators, you know, and and none of us are smart enough to do it all. These developments with the Teamsters are as dangerous as they are shocking, and you can be certain that we will follow up this story on future episodes of Labor Express. I also want to prepare our listeners for a special event coming soon to Labor Express. February 2024 marks the 20th anniversary of my time hosting and producing this program. I took over the show from founder Wayne Heimbeck in February of 2004. Late 2023 was also actually the 30th anniversary of the program. Uh, Wayne 
uh, hosted the program for 10 years, a little over 10 years prior to my stepping in. Um, so we're really at an historic point here of both the 20th and 30th anniversary of Labor Express. So we're planning a special anniversary celebration episode. Make sure to keep tuned, and uh, we have more information about that coming soon on laborexpress.org. So look for more information on that on laborexpress.org. Well, that's all for tonight's program, but you can always find out more about our program at our Facebook page, which you can find at laborexpress.org. Labor Express is a nonprofit 501c3 member of IBW Local 1220. Views expressed on Labor Express are those of its producers, not necessarily those of IBW. Labor Express is a production of the Committee for Labor Access in Chicago, the world capital of the labor movement. Labor Express is a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, where people's voices broadcasting worldwide 24 hours a day. Find out more at laborradionetwork.org. The song used our theme is called Worker Songs, written by Ed Pickford and recorded by the Dropkick Murphys. Tune in every Sunday at 8 p.m. or Monday at 11 a.m. on 105.5 FM or lumpenradio.com for more Labor Express. Yeah, this one's for the workers who talk.